Our next Bible reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14. You'll be able to find that on page 1037 on most Pew Bibles or behind the screen uh, on the wall. Matthew, chapter 25, verse 14. The parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, and to the other, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the man with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his money. He, Hid his master's money, sorry. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought, brought, the, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done. Good, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, investing you where you have not sown and gathered where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here, it, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I... I that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give him to the one who has ten talents. To everyone who has, who has will be given more, and he will, be, he will have an abundance. Whoever does not... Even what he has will be taken from him, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. Thank you, Vina. Now, we all know we uh, have good weeks and bad weeks and just ordinary weeks, but I find that it's always important to reflect on God's word and and this week, reflecting on this passage was quite encouraging, just to remind us as a family why we're here amongst you doing this type of ministry and this type of work. So hopefully this passage will be as encouraging uh, to you as it was to me this past week. But uh, let's join in prayer, asking that God might help us understand this deeply. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect on this uh, famous parable, that you'll cast our minds and hearts on things above, Help us to see how we are to live out your purpose in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I would like to begin by getting you to imagine if your life was shrunk down into only 17 verses. 
You only have 17 verses. How would you summarize your life? What would the highlight of your life be? So you've only got 17 verses, but that's a summary of your life story. Would it be a romantic story? You know, the years of courting and being courted, the Cinderella wedding, the years of marriage together. Now, I know some of you here are romantics. Um, I'm not. For Valentine's Day the other day, um, Essa wrote us a card. She just said, happy day, but she knew that I don't celebrate Valentine's Day. But that's just me. And I, I gave Yvonne a flower. I just drew it on a piece of paper and gave it to her, and that was enough. As romantic as I am. Or would your story be a bit more like an adventure story? Trotting around the globe, the adventures, the caving, the skydiving, the camping and scuba diving. Oh, well, would it be that type of story? I've heard of a story just recently of someone who, who used to smuggle Bibles into one of these Asian countries where you're not meant to have them. I mean, that's an adventure story. Or would your life story be like a rags to riches story from humble beginnings to now a very comfortable life? Or would it be an action movie? You know, for, for some, I know, were involved in some of the wars that Australia was involved in in World War II. Or would it be just like a mystery, a mystery story? Life just happens to you and you just let life happen to you. Well, whatever your life story might be, you've got 17 verses. How might you summarize your life story? Now, of course, we're all so different, different walks of life, different experiences, different responsibilities and different opportunities. But we come to this parable today, which summarizes our life story. Now, that might sound strange, but you see, this parable, in a sense, is our life story from God's perspective, and he puts it in 17 verses. Now, of course, this is without all the elements and details of our life. But the overarching summary from God's perspective on how we live our lives is summarized here in this parable. And it is confronting. Because what we find in this parable is that some will in fact waste their lives away. And so as we reflect on this parable, we want to make sure we're not among one of those. So let's have a look at this parable. Let me encourage you, keep your Bibles open. I'll work uh, my way through it, verse by verse. So this parable is like a summary of our life story from God's perspective. Now, this is a parable I'm sure many of us are very familiar with. We, we know this, uh, we've heard of it before, we've heard it taught before. But in this parable, we see that there are these servants, they're given a purpose, they're given a task. And that task, that purpose, is described here as being entrusted with some talents. So have a look, verses 14 and 15. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who caught his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents of money, to another one talent, each according to his ability. And so this talent, the master entrusts to his servant. That is their purpose. Now, it's interesting. What is this talent? Well, this is one of those situations where biblical language has, in fact, shaped our English language. You see, when we talk about talents, we naturally think natural abilities, skills, uh, talented in a certain area, giftings. And so we hear people talk about that, uh, that person's a talented guitarist or singer or chef. But though it's come to mean that in our English language, it's in fact not what the Greek word means. In the Greek, the word talent 
It's just a measure of weight. It's a measure of weight. And in this context, it's a weight of money. It's a weight of money. And so how much is a talent? Well, in the ancient world, a talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. What's a denarii, you ask? Well, a denarii is equal to one day's wage. So just think about that. How much is one talent? Well, one talent, 6,000 denarii, 6,000 denarii. One denarii is one day's wage. So if we translate it to our current day currency, if you're living on minimum wage in Australia, one denarii would equal to about $135. That's a minimum wage in Australia. And so if you have one talent, that's 6,000 times that. So that works out to be about $807,000. One talent is that much. And so one of these servants is given five talents. I mean, that's over $4 million. That's a lot of money. With $4 million, what can you buy? You can buy Tasmania or maybe New Zealand. No. That's a lot of money. So this master has entrusted his servants with a lot, and they were given according to their abilities. And so what was their purpose? They were entrusted with so much. Well, their purpose was to make it fruitful, to grow it, to maximize what belonged to their master. It was only entrusted to them. It doesn't belong to them. It was their masters, and their purpose was to maximize it. And so if we think about our own life story, you see, this is a summary of our life from God's perspective. What is our purpose? What is it that we've been entrusted with? Well, in this parable, it's got to do with money. And so what God has entrusted to us at least has to include all our money, all that we own, all that we have. They belong to God. It's a very simple lesson. All that we have and own, they have been entrusted by God to us for his purpose. And so as I was reflecting on this this past week, it meant my bank statement, my bank account, my car, my house, they belong to God. They're not mine. They've just been entrusted to me. But it is for his purpose. But then I think this parable is also getting at more than just our finances, our resources and assets. You see, it's everything that we have and own and are has been entrusted to us. And so that does include how we use it in the English, our talents and our abilities and our gifts, the opportunities that God gives us. That is a talent that God has entrusted to us, but entrusted to us for his purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, obviously, whatever the purpose is, it's not for us to squander it. Nor is it for us for our sake, for our own comfort, for our own indulgences. It is for God. And so the purpose of the talents, in the broad sense, for us to remember is it's all for God. All that we have, all that we are, it's in fact all for God. And what is that? Well, it is to maximize the cause of the gospel, not minimize it. It is to advance the kingdom of God, not hinder it. You see, they, those are the things that will last beyond the grave. Maximize God's stuff and minimize my stuff. And so if that's the purpose God gives these servants, then there's also a responsibility. Now, what did these servants do? Well, here we see there are two types of servants. Two of them did exactly what they were meant to. They did not laze around. They went at once, put their money to work, and they doubled their talents. And so one made another 1.6 million. The other made another 4 million. 
Look at verses uh, 16 and 17. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But then we read of this other servant who did nothing, did not want to lose it, did not want to invest it. He dug a hole and he put $807,000 in the hole and covered it up. Verse 18, But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now what do you think that might look like today? You see, it's a, it's a parable, but it's a summary of our life story. Well, I'm not sure how you might quantify the amount and the talents, but here are some examples. I know of a, a man, a godly, devout Christian man, and I look up to him as, as a model of Christian living and faithfulness. He serves as an elder in his own church, and he's a super busy man. He's a, in his household, four boys. I mean, I've only got two, and that's a busy household. He's got four boys. He used to serve as the chief of staff of a former premier of one of the states of Australia. And so he had to fly around a lot in his work with the premier, huge public responsibilities. Uh, a couple of years ago, when he was still in that role, Yvonne had a chat with his wife. And, and Yvonne was told by his wife, I mean, she doesn't understand how her husband can do so much. But he manages to. He, he, he's very busy with work, but yet he still manages to be there at the session meetings at church, attend his own Bible study, and he even runs the men's ministry in his church. I mean, how do you do that? But then more than that, recently we, we heard that, you know, four boys in a household, so busy already. But they're thinking, how might I be a faithful servant? Maximize the things of God. Well, recently they've been considering fostering so that they might be a blessing to more people. I mean, that's a busy household already. They want to live out the gospel and share the gospel with more. You see, he's trying to do what the two servants did. He's been entrusted with much, very capable, competent man. He wants to maximize the cause of the gospel, not minimize it. He wants to advance the kingdom of God with all that he's been entrusted with and not hinder it. And so I suspect that's an example. Five talents he was given, and in his life he's working hard. I want to gain another five for our Lord. Well, here's another example. This one is a much younger man. Younger Christian man, very busy with work, huge responsibilities, quite a high flyer for his age. But he manages to find time to disciple a few younger men in their walk with Christ. He's busy already, married, but he, he finds the time to disciple and mentor. He's very competent and capable, so he was headhunted by another firm, promised double the pay, he told me. Now, most people would just jump at that opportunity, twice the pay, of course I'll do that. You see, this young man, he, he's thinking about this parable. How might I be a faithful servant? You see, he's thinking more about how I might maximize the cause of the gospel and not minimize it. And so he was thinking maybe that not, might not be good for him because he's interested in the kingdom of God. And so he told me he, he was struggling with whether to take this job or not because he was searching his heart. He, he did not want to follow dollars. He wanted to follow Christ. And so that's... Perhaps an example like a man given two talents and in his life he's working hard to gain another two for his Lord. But then, of course, there's the other servant. And I know we all know people like this who invest all their efforts, all their energy, all their 
deepest desires and ambitions into their work, into their career, into their education. Super successful. But when it comes to the things of God, there's no drive, no motivation, no effort, no service. I mean, it's sad to hear, isn't it? Well, that, that person is like this last servant. This last servant who has nothing to show for in the end. Isn't that sad? And so this parable makes clear, doesn't it? We're given a purpose, and so there's a responsibility. Two here were responsible. One wasn't. And so what happened in the end? Well, let's have a look at this parable. Remember, it's meant to be a summary of our life story as well, from God's perspective. What will happen at the end of our life? Well, we all know that there will be the settling of accounts with God. He will return, and there will be a verdict from God. And so what happened in this parable? Well, the first verdict is that there is commendation for the faithful servant. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted with me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. You see, you gave me $4 million. Here's another four for you. And what did the master say? Verse 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. I mean, does that blow your mind? He was entrusted with $4 million, but that's only a few things. How much will be many things? And then the master says, well, come and share your master's happiness. I mean, that's a reward for the faithful servant. He joins in his master's happiness. Now, what about the other servant? Well, though he was entrusted with less talents, only two, but his reward, do you notice, was exactly the same. He was just as faithful. It wasn't how much he earned. He was faithful to what he was entrusted with. And so as we think about this, those great Christians before us, John Calvin, he was given a brilliant mind, wrote, taught, excellent Bible teacher, and he was faithful to what God entrusted to him. His wonderful mind, he used it to maximize the cause of the gospel. Now, not many of us are given the mind like John Calvin, but if we serve faithfully with what God has entrusted with us, then we will just be as faithful as Calvin or Billy Graham. Wonderful man of God, passed away at 99 years old this past week. He was given the excellent gift of preaching, of being an evangelist, of proclaiming Christ so powerfully, winning so many lives for Christ. He worked to maximize the course of the gospel with what God has entrusted to him. Now, of course, not many of us are given that gift, that oratory skills and ability like Billy. Not many of us are evangelists like he was. But if we serve faithfully with the little that God has entrusted with us, then we'll be just as faithful as Billy. We will also share in the Master's happiness. And so we see the first two servants, they fulfilled their purpose faithfully, they were useful, they were fruitful, while the master was away. They maximized the course of the gospel, not minimized it. They advanced the kingdom of God, not hindered it. But then what about the last one? The risk at verse 1. Well, here there's no commendation, only condemnation. 
But he excuses himself. Look at verse 24. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now tell me, what did this servant do wrong? I mean, he was just playing safe, wasn't he? He was risk-averse. Well, what he did wrong was that this servant forgot who he was. He's just a servant. And he forgot who his master was. His master is his master. You see, he's putting himself in judgment over his master. What servant does that? And it's really not too different today when people say, when people think about God and they say, well, you know, if I meet God one day, I don't believe him, but if I meet him, he should accept me as I am. If he doesn't, then the problem is not with me, it is with him. I mean, that's casting judgment over God. That is to seriously forget that God is God and we're not. And to have the audacity to say such a thing is to presume upon the role and place of God. You see, we don't sit in judgment over God. He sits in judgment over us. And that was the problem with this last servant. And so how did the master respond to this last servant? Verse 26. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. That's the master's verdict. So you know that I have harvest, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather, gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Now, what was the judgment for this last servant? Verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he, who has, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, you read that, and, and we should shake in fear. That is the judgment of God on some. It is deadly serious. It's not like God will say, okay, I'll give you another chance. You see, once our life is over, there's no more chance. Once Christ returns, there's no more chance. Once we meet God face to face, there's no more chance. And notice the horror of the judgment on this servant. The image is not just one of pain and agony, but it's one of great despair and hopelessness. Weep all you like and there will be no help. Gnashing of your teeth all you like, there will be no reprieve. Pray as much as you want and no one will answer. I mean, this last servant is in a horrifying, terrifying situation, unlike the other two, and most likely not a Christian. And so that's the parable. We all know this parable, very famous parable. It's a summary of our life story. And so what does, what does it tell us? Well, it tells us we're one of these. Which one of these servants are we? You see, in the end, God will also give a verdict on our life. There will be commendation or there will be condemnation. And so what are we to make of all this? Well, if God has entrusted all that we have, all our talents, abilities, opportunities, resources, wealth, they all belong to God. They are not ours for us. They are God's entrusted to us for him. 
And so then we must be useful and fruitful and faithful as much as possible with our life. Because one day we'll have to give account to it. Now I don't know how that makes you feel, but as I reflected on that this week, I'm reminded, what am I doing with my life? And so a question we all need to ask ourselves this morning is, how are we going at being this faithful servant? One who will be promised and welcomed into the happiness of our master, of God, of the joy of heaven, and of peace for all eternity. And so a question we need to be reflecting on this morning, as I have been doing this past week, am I in all I am doing maximizing the cause of the gospel or am I minimizing it? Am I advancing the kingdom of God or am I hindering it? And so as we reflect on this, now this parable is not just about money, but at least it is about money, at the very least. And so how should I use all that God has entrusted to me? My resources, my assets, and over the whole life, over my whole life, I thought about this, how much money will I actually spend? It'll be in the millions, actually. So it's not too far from it, is it? Five talents. We'll all spend in the millions. But then one day, if I'll be asked, what have you done with the incredible wealth I have given to you? How will you answer that? Now, if you're not yet a Christian, you can really disregard this, you know. No one wants your money here. But if you are a Christian and you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, you recognize the costly sacrifice of God the Father in giving God the Son to us, that Jesus will walk willingly to the cross, brutalized, flogged, shamed, humiliated, and crucified. If Jesus did that for us, then what are we to do with our life? We're to remember this. So how would you answer that if we were asked, what have you done with the incredible wealth I've given you? As I reflect on this, I look at my bank statement, does it show how generously I've invested in the kingdom of God? Or does it show more how I've invested in my kingdom? One day, just imagine rocking up to God. What have you done with all the wealth I've given you? I mean, I would not want to be one who says, I spent it on a comfortable life. I spent it on my kingdom. What do you think God's verdict will be if that's the answer? You see, where our money goes shows where our heart lies. And we'll have to give account to that. Now, there are wonderful examples of Christians who have lived like this faithful servant, and I always find it inspirational, encouraging to consider. The Bible college I attended was more theological college up in Sydney. How was it possible that they had the resources to build a massive building, to establish it in 1856, to buy so many residential properties for students to live in when they studied? Oh, it's because of one man, only one man, Thomas More, wealthy man who left his entire estate to the church. That's how they were able to establish that, that Bible college in 1856. Or many Presbyterian churches, even in our state, how is it possible that we can meet even here in this building? How can we do this? How can all the churches do this? It's because of the generous investment of those before us. Now, you might not know this history, but half the block on which this church is on was a gift given by a Mrs. Gibson in 1907. Given to the church. And how was this church built? This church building was, it's over 100 years. Well, it was built from bequests that were given 
to the church. And personally, I know a few families who, are, who themselves know that they've been entrusted with much, many talents. They know that God has provided them well financially, but they are generous. They've spoken to me and they said, if you see a gospel need, please let me know. If there's a gospel opportunity, please let me know. I mean, isn't that investing wisely? So how would you answer if God was to call you to account? Or should, how should I use my, my car, my home that God has entrusted to me? I mean, it's very easy to think, this is mine. I worked for it. I paid for it. But one day I'll be asked, what have you done with that car I gave you? What have you done with that house I've entrusted to you? How would you answer that? Well, I know quite a few faithful servants amongst us who use their car to serve to serve others, to drive folks to church, to Bible study groups, to drive people around, and they do it each week without grumbling. There are quite a few of us who, who show great use of our homes, showing wonderful hospitality, even single folks, using their homes to show tremendous hospitality. I mean, we experienced it ourselves. When we were renovating a few years ago, there were a few families who offered us to stay at their place for, for those months. I mean, that's crazy. Who want to live with us? But some did. But isn't that investing generously? How would you answer God? Or if God were to ask you, what have you done with the opportunities I gave you at uni, amongst your colleagues, at work, with your neighbours? What have you done with those opportunities? Didn't you see? What have you done with the abilities and skills and gifts that I've given you? You are good at IT. What have you done with that? You are good with music. What have you done with that? You're a natural evangelist. What have you done with that? What have you done with the time and the life I've given you? What have you done with your life? What do you have to show for? How would you answer these questions? You see, if you are a Christian, and we know how deep the Father's love is for us, our memory texts, that the Son of God would willingly go to the cross for us, brutalized, shamed and crucified for us, that God would do that so that we might enjoy his happiness forever. If we understand the gospel, a genuine Christian cannot live any differently than to maximize the cause of the gospel, not minimize it, than to advance the kingdom of God, not hinder it. You see, one day on the day of judgment, there will be no hiding. In our life, we can have two lives, a Sunday life and a weekday life. But before God, there will be no hiding. He sees it all. You'll either be the good and faithful servant or you're the one who will say to God, I've squandered all the wealth you've given me. I've wasted the opportunities you've provided me. I've misused the gifts you've granted me. And now I've got nothing to show for. I mean, if that's the case, how then can we expect God to say, good and faithful servant, come and share your master's happiness? Now, this past week, we heard of that very sad news that Billy Graham, known as America's pastor, he passed away at the ripe old age of 99 years. If we think about his life, he was entrusted with so much, perhaps 10 talents. But he was a man who spent and expended his life proclaiming all around the world the gospel of Christ. This is the only way to be saved. There is no other way. Don't fool yourself. Jesus is the only way. It's estimated that he preached to live audiences 
of over 215 million people in over 185 countries. I mean, some of us poor preachers, we're happy to preach to 50 in one country. He was counsel to, to all the presidents from World War II to the current president. 12 or 13 presidents. Now, he visited Australia a few times. Some of you might still remember that. The big one at the MCG in 1959. Now, just out of interest, who attended that big crusade, that rally in 1959? You show your age, it's, it's wisdom, and, and we love you for it. <laughs> so some of us did, right? Many of you came to faith. I mean, that was obviously before many of us were was born. But I did manage to go to listen to his son, Franklin Graham, when he went to Telstra Dome, as it was called back then, now Etihad Stadium, uh, speak. I heard that in 2005. But you might not know this, or maybe you do. The record attendance at the MCG is not an AFL grand final. You expect that. It's not any cricket match. You expect that too. The record attendance at the MCG was for Billy Graham. 130,000 people. Here's a picture. That's Billy. And that's at the stadium when he preached in 1959. Many lives were won over for Christ because of him. In fact, the uh, Jensen brothers up in Sydney, they, they've written, it was Billy Graham. They walked up, they gave their life to Christ. But now he's passed away. But listen to what he once said. He said this, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Isn't that wonderful? He knew he was going to die. We all know that. But that was his confidence. He was living his life as this faithful servant, expending it, maximizing the cause of the gospel. And he knew with crystal clarity where he'll end up. He'll be home with his father in heaven. Now in 2005, Billy Graham, he opened up to CNN about his wife. She died in 2007, and they were lifelong partners in the cause of the gospel. She was buried at the foot of a cross-shaped walkway at his library, the Billy Graham Library, and he too will be buried right next to her. Now this is her, her uh, gravestone, and there's a Chinese word there. I didn't know what it was. I had to ask Yvonne, and she had to search the internet. But it means righteousness. It was the word on her father's gravestone because she was a missionary uh, or a child of missionary to China. She was born in China. But in this interview, he was asked, what do you like people to say about you when you die? I mean, this is all in hindsight now, but it's so powerful when we hear it now. He said this, I want to hear one person say something nice about me, and that's the Lord. When I face him, I want him to say to me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He died this past week. Do you think he heard that? Well, he lived his life as this faithful, fruitful servant to the very end. He's like one of those maybe given ten talents, and he perhaps more than doubled that for God. Now, isn't that what we want to hear as well? In... in the hope of all hopes that in our feeble efforts, 
in our weak efforts, our measly response to what the Son of God did for us, that we too will be just as fruitful, will be just as faithful. And to hope with all hopes that one day when we meet our Lord, he'll say to us, he'll say to you, good and faithful servant, come and join your master's happiness. And so this morning, as I was reflecting this week, what type of servant will you be? What verdict will you carry with you for all eternity? Well, I want that one. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for how you've raised men like Billy Graham, who did so much for the cause of the kingdom, who proclaimed Christ powerfully, unashamedly. And we pray, Lord, that you might produce his heart in us, that we too might live our lives as faithful servants, maximizing the cause of the gospel in all that we do. We pray, Lord, that one day when we will meet you, it will be those sweet Wonderful words, good and faithful servant. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King and Saviour. Amen.